Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Heath Liday. I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack. It's a website. Uh, joining me this week is one of the great ATQ writers, Kevin Phipps. How you doing? Still kicking. Uh, yeah, well, uh, the, <laughs> speaking of still kicking, <laughs> uh, you know, we uh, uh, we expanded the staff this year uh to uh, uh among other things cover uh, uh the various sports that i can't stand uh to uh, stand around to 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 cover because i'm doing such a, a hard job uh covering the football team uh i covered that out pretty well uh and uh, and you've been covering the soccer team uh and uh and also uh the the golf uh men's women's golf teams um our number one fan uh, on uh, on Twitter, uh, that the Emerald Valley uh, Golf Club um, has been uh, harassing us like a nonstop uh, campaign of harassment um, to cover uh, the women's golf team, uh, and uh, bullying works. Uh, so we're we're capitulating in a, a completely cowardly manner, and we'll discuss uh, right now uh, uh, the the performance of the men's women's golf, uh, team in various tournaments, uh, and invitationals that they have been to and that you've written up. Um, let's start out talking about the men's, uh, golf team going to, uh, the Ben Hogan collegiate invitational. Um, uh, how they do. You know, they actually did very well. Um, you know, not often you're going to be as excited about a fourth place finish. Um, you know, out of 25, but when you consider the fact that, uh, or sorry, fourth place finish. Um, but when you consider that, uh, 13 top 25 programs were in that field, that's a, that's an impressive yeah, that's, finish. Yeah. That ain't bad. Um, uh, any individual standouts, uh, Nate Stember is, is the big standout for the day. Um, he ended up, he had a huge last day. He started the last day tied for 15th, but just delivered an outstanding round shooting 66 uh, to finish tied for th uh, third at six under. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody else? Yeah. Also finishing uh, ended up to strangely enough, two strokes, but uh, tied for seventh, Greg Solhong um, at four under. And then uh, Owen Averett came in just one over. Uh, and then, you know, tied for 25th. So that was all of our top 25 finishers. Um, and then uh, Grayson Leach and Aiden Kraft uh, had a couple struggles through the through the weekend, uh, finishing at three over and seven over, respectively. 
That's surprising about Everett. He was really the hero uh, on last year's team. Is this a particularly difficult course? Uh, you know, I think it got the better of, of several people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was... Uh, he's, he's talking about Everett, sorry. Now I'm about yeah. to start talking about crap. Um, he was consistent, I think, was the big one. Um, you know, he he came in par on his last course to finish total one over, but he, he shot consistently par or, or right under right over. So I, I think consistency was the big thing. He didn't take any uh, particularly challenging shots. He didn't, you know, maybe he laid up when he could have gone for it, but um, I think he was kind of being the balancing point and, uh, and being kind of a something everybody else could gauge from. Yeah. And then craft finishing seven over is really, you know, I mean, Oregon might, you know, if he had just finished par, you know, Oregon might have, uh, you know, won the whole damn thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What's interesting is his, he, he, uh, he, he was challenged it out of the gate. He actually, his final round was also a four under 66. So he like came storming back in his final round, but he, he had some challenges in the, in the earlier rounds. So he was fighting from behind from the get go, yeah. but, but. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, uh, they, uh, uh, um, the, how are they doing overall? You know, the, the, you covered, uh, some early, an earlier men's golf tournament, uh, or invitational, um, uh, you know, uh, uh for the site, uh, how, how's the men's golf team, you know, shaping up, uh, you know, go, going into the rest of the, the their season. You know, they're currently 22nd in the nation, which mm-hmm. is nothing to sneeze at. Um, and I think that they've been improving. I mean, the there's been this, you know, maybe it's just unfamiliarity with courses. Maybe it's, uh, you know, coming out cold. But there's been marked improvement day after day after day uh, in each tournament. And I think they just got to find the, their way to to come out and get over it in the first round and not not go first round, second round, third round, and then finally just come storming in the, you know, at the end. Um, But they're getting better. And that's the thing is they're starting hotter. um, Maybe, you know, still having a few extra bogeys, but I think it's getting better from what I've seen. All right. Let's talk about the, uh, the women's golf uh, team, uh, which we've been swim fanned into uh, discussing. (laughs) Uh, wow. they, there's they, a reference. Yeah. Right. Uh, they headed out to Chicago, uh, for the windy city, uh, uh, classic. Um, how'd they do? They did, uh, uh, very well. Um, you know, it's funny cause the previous tournament we talked about, uh, you know, Kira Romero, the freshman, um, you know, showing up solid for him, but in actually the windy city, it was actually two fifth year seniors that, uh, that's, that kind of powered them through. And that was uh, Ching Su Chen and Brianna Chacon um, really just coming alive in the final round. Um, the whole team actually uh, eight under as a team in the, wow. in the final round. Yeah. In one round. Yeah. It, in the, yeah. As a team, they actually finished the entire tournament 22 under. Wow. Yeah. Which somehow, was still only third place. Uh, wow. Um, that's a, that's they were a only, stiff competition. Yeah. One stroke behind Northwestern. Um, but UCLA, I, you know, I don't know how, but they finished 32 under, um, <laughs> what? 
UCLA finished 32 under. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I haven't seen a score that low since the last time I was in a charity golf tournament uh, where no one was checking scorecards. So, (laughs) wow. Uh, Yeah, that's that's pretty rough. Um, And Oregon's got to go to the Big Ten uh, and face both of those teams, huh? Uh, All right. Um, uh, Yeah, that's that's pretty nasty. Um, uh, But but impressive nonetheless. You know, with competition like that to 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 come in third, (laughs) not bad. Um, Do do you think that's because you know? do you think that's because Chen and, and Chacon like are coming on strong, you know, a little later in the year, or uh, do you think that's because, you know, other players are slipping, you know, what's your read on the situation? Uh, well, part of it might be that um, Chen was actually a, an individual competitor in their previous tournament and they actually added her to the team lineup. Oh, really? Um, hmm. So that, that might've given them a little bit of an edge. Yeah, um, little, little strategy there. Um, but they, you know, they, they're, uh, you know, I, I mentioned Romero brief, you know, earlier, um, she, you know, she had kind of a little bit rougher, rougher go this time out. Um, but then she managed to put in three birdies and four holes just before the turn on her final round. So it's like, uh, the, the trend that I've seen is the back, they just come alive in the back nine. Mm. Um, you know, and Chacon had an eagle on number nine, which was the only eagle of the week for the Ducks. Um, so, like, they, they tend to do better as the day goes on or on the back nine, um, at, you know, as they work their way through the, the round. And uh, they're, they're going to find that day where, where they just come out and hold. You know, they don't, they don't pick up the bogeys in the front nine. And then they're going to shoot that 32 under. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and uh, in addition, to, uh, they, they also uh, headed out to Seaside for the the Molly Collegiate Invitational. Um, it, it was the competition, or, or and was the competition similar? Uh, was the composition of uh, of Oregon's uh, 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 entry the same, or, or how did that go? No, actually, it was a it was an entirely different group of of yeah. gals kind of leading the way. Yeah, uh, no, that, I mean Park. that was, was crazy. Reading your article is just like, wait a minute, this is yeah, like a completely was, different team. What's going we, on? We flipped the script. Yeah, Ashley Park uh, came in thirteen under, actually won. Uh, you know the the individual, so you know that that definitely helps. And they actually tied California for first at twenty eight under um, for the for that for the Molly Invitational. So uh, again, you know, it's, it's one of those things where they've got half of the squad that's really just cleaning house and the other half that's maybe having a few extra struggles and then they go to the next tournament and it flips Mm -hmm. and what's going to happen is they're going to get to one of these tournaments and you know, there will probably be one where everybody has those struggles and they end up at the back of the pack. But if they find a way to make, you know, just one more person, you know, swap a bogey for a birdie. They're going to be in it for top every time. Yeah. Well, Perk medaled though at the Molly, right? Yeah, she was first place. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh you know, but but it's you know that and uh, 
I don't, you know, your, your article is excellent in, in getting through all the details. In fact, like I, you know, as far as I'm aware, this is, you know, the, you know, by far the finest uh, Oregon golf competition that exists uh, on the planet uh, or a uh, uh, coverage uh, that exists on the planet. Uh, you know, uh, uh, listener, if you're interested in Oregon golf at all, you're not going to find, uh, you know, better coverage than an addicted to quack, uh, you know, read Kevin's article. Uh, it has, you know, all the details and, you know, far more than we've discussed here, uh, including, you know, uh, as well, a, a bunch of uh, clips, you know, video clips, uh, you know, some of the most uh, exciting stuff and what's upcoming uh, next. They're going down to the uh, to the Bay Area um, for the Stanford uh, uh, intercollegiate um, uh, later this month, right? Yeah, October 20th through 22nd. The, that'll be the uh, end of the fall tournament schedule for the ladies. And the men's will be heading to the Cal Poly Invitational October 30th and 31st. Ooh, for Halloween. Um, Halloween. Yeah, no. I, 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 do, you, do you suppose it's beneath golfer's dignity to uh, to dress up for a golf tournament? You know, I want someone to golf in the in the duck. Oh yeah, <laughs> I want someone to go out and golf in the duck costume. Yeah, I, I I I agree. I I am expecting uh, sponsorship uh, offers. Uh, you know, now from the Ember Valley uh, Golf Club because we capitulated. Uh, you know, we we probably should have extracted that before we recorded. I, I you know, this segment. Yeah, we could have been recording in 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 t shirts or the or or those golf polos or whatever and clothed our nakedness. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> I, you know, I'll, if Emerald Valley wants, I'll come play around and then, you know, shite, I'll shoot a nice, you know, 74, yeah. 75, maybe come back another day and get in the back nine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Get Get that done. <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do whatever you want. <laughs> First for sponsor of mine. I, right. I do have to apologize, though, that there is not, there are not a ton of photos uh, in my golf coverage because there's just not a lot of photos being taken at golf tournaments. Well, uh, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're obliged to use for our, uh, you know, for our lead art, you know, something from the, from the contractual library. And, and for some reason f folks are not going out and taking photos, you know, of, uh, of these things, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get out uh, some, so, you know, we'll get some local coverage when they return to Eugene and get a photographer there so we can take our, our personal photos, which is like a, the loophole that I discovered in our contract. Uh, is we take it ourselves, we can use that as lead art. Um, shout out uh, to the women's golf team on Twitter for, for posting your own highlights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, you, you got to get it done, uh, yeah, yourself. Um, all right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll talk about uh, the, the only uh, uh, team for Oregon, which is even more thrilling than golf, uh, which is soccer. Uh, so in, in a performance uh, uh, that uh, absolutely floored me, uh, the, the Oregon soccer team uh, scored not just one, but multiple goals against Colorado and Utah. Is that correct, Kevin? That is correct. Uh, they scored one goal versus Colorado and mm -hmm. two goals versus Utah, which would be was, amazing. Were no. they drummed out of NCAA soccer for this like uh, uncouth outburst of unsoccer like performance by scoring goals? You know, there there were scouts from uh, from Major League Soccer in attendance, mm -hmm. um, and I think they that we may have like had some early poached talent after this. I, I mean, see. You know, I I don't know if we're if we're gonna be able to bounce back after a uh, after this just 
you know, sometimes you, you, you fly too close to the sun and you get burned. I mean, Colorado is a ranked team. Actually, it is kind of interesting that they've been blanked by so many teams, many of which are sort of like kind of lower level competition. And they go play a ranked team and like they get their first goal in forever. Mm-hmm. Um, now they get outscored. And so they lost the match. Uh, yeah. But- and it was not it was not a uh, like a defensive breakdown and you know they didn't get outperformed there was just you know colorado scored two goals in 61 seconds like the first 61 seconds uh not the first 61 seconds it was in the second half but mm-hmm. it was it was just they they had an opportunity they scored and then almost immediately after we're attacking the net and scored again it's just one of those okay okay we we missed an assignment here (laughs) well it's sort of been the you know the the thing that's been even though the offensive firepower has like been very much absent for oregon soccer season this year the thing that sort of you know kept these things from being runaways um so that you you, it was just a matter of like waiting for the offense to show up has been maddie goldberg the goaltender you know, like just keeping everything or practically everything out of the net. Um, but she hasn't been available, right? Correct. Uh, we actually saw Leah Parsons get her debut as a goalkeeper. Um, mm-hmm. She did, you know, she did come away with seven saves. So it's it's mm-hmm. not like there was a, you know, suddenly there was no defense. It was, we just saw that, uh, you know, there was a change on the, on the defensive side and maybe a few, maybe an extra goal slipped in Mm -hmm. that Maddie might've saved. And, you know, um, coach was talking about how they, they like Leah back there as a vocal presence and they, they feel that there is some competition at that spot. So we'll see how it, how it progresses. You, you know, I, I don't know. Soccer is such a low-scoring sport that it's you know I, it makes me feel a little uh, you know strange to talk about like a goal, um, but like is the a goal that they scored against Colorado, which again, or mind folks, is a, a ranked team, you know, right? Like that, you know, we were talking about like, oh man, they're not going to get anything done against Colorado. And so it's like actually kind of eyebrow raising that they were finally able to get off the schneid, uh, you know, against Colorado. Were they did did you see something out of their offensive performance against Colorado that makes you think, hey, maybe they've turned a corner here? Or on the other hand, did it was their goal sort of like, oh, man, that was a total fluke. It bounced off a peg in somebody's head and a bird and like, uh, don't read anything into that. You know, what did you think? Well, Colorado got took the lead off of a turnover. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's self-inflicted wounds to a degree. Um, but the the lady's goal, I mean, it was a it was a corner kick, you know, and then Kristen Conti uh headed in her first goal of her career. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I mean it was a play that they made offensively. It wasn't okay. it wasn't a fluke. You know, they found I mean you have to set up a corner rhythm. kick in soccer, yeah. right? Like that's a set yeah. that's a, so number one, you have to design a set place that that's mm-hmm. you know that's something 
they executed it that you know that's something and also like in order to get the opportunity for a corner kick like they don't just hand those to you you have to be you know driving the field and controlling the ball like the, they don't they don't hand those to you because of a penalty that happens you know midfield or like a personal foul or something they hand those to you because you're in scoring position and, you know, the the defense committed a foul that robbed you of, you know, a, a score that you might otherwise have had. So, like, okay, am I supposed to read into that? Like, hey, they were in scoring position, you know, and that, well, like, that's a good, does that indicate, hey, that the offense might be turning a corner? I, I think so. I think that one of the big challenges they've had this season is, uh, having an offensive playbook, you know, having strategies behind moving the ball and how they, how they attack the goal. Uh, earlier in the season, we saw them taking very long shots, making very long kicks downfield that tended to just end up right in the hands or on the feet of the defense. Uh, and sort of feel felt haphazard, right? There was yeah, kind of like, Oh man, we just got to push this ball downfield and who knows where it's going to wind up, but we got to get it out of our defensive half of the field. And it wasn't really like controlled, you know, a designed, you know, uh, effort to score. It was, Oh God, we got to get some pressure off of our defense. Yes. And, you know, I, I'd love to, you know, to jump right into the, the competition against the Utes, which unfortunately did not have a, a better end, but, um, you know, in terms of the back and forth of the of the game, you know, that's a two two game. You know, Oregon hey, a one hundred percent increase in scoring. A one hundred percent increase in scoring. You know, you know, Utah had struck first, but um, you know, late in the first half, you know, the fortieth minute, um, Oregon, you know, gets a gets a header into the net, but then penalty kick. You know, uh. Utah scores off of a penalty kick mm. goes ahead two one, you know, they, they get a goal in the 80th minute, extending the advantage, extending their advantage, you know, Oregon again, shows some teamwork, you know, moves the ball up the field, takes, you know, puts another, puts another point on the board, but Utah scores on another penalty kick. And so penalty kick, what's going on with all the penalty kicks, man? It, it, well, I, they're they're getting aggressive, you know, and I don't know if uh, if that fight was missing from the first few games or maybe they were being a little more tempered. But, you know, they're they're starting to run against uh, opposing teams, both on offense and defense. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're we're, which is giving away some penalty kicks. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're chasing the ball down They're They're uh, they're attacking. You know, so you take away those two goals off of penalty kicks, you got a two-two game. Hey, the tie—that that's the most soccer thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. Um, any uh, in any individual standout performances? You've already, you know, discussed the 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 new goalkeeper, uh, Leah Parsons. Uh, anybody else? Uh, Lauren Kenny, uh, her first goal as a duck came against uh, against Utah, mm -hmm. uh, and Caitlin Pacoba had her first of the year. Um, fourth of her career during that game. And interestingly enough, um, the uh, the assists all came from freshmen. Nice. Uh, with Reynolds, McSweeney, and Byrne. 
all, uh, all, you know, the shared assists in soccer, the way it works. Um, and again, Leah Parsons was in the net and was, and did record 11 saves. You know, you consider the amount of shots she was facing. Yeah, she sure. did, she did manage well, to. Parsons uh, is pretty, pretty young too, right? She is also a freshman. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, that's what we've discussed is that this year is, you know, they basically lost it like a, um, virtually everybody off of last year's team. And that this year's team, it's like, I mean, it's like freshmen across the board, you know, and uh, and, and for, for that reason, before the, the season got started, we were all sort of like, we're not really expecting this team to to make a, a ton of noise, you know, but we are expecting them to get a lot of, you know, experience and set up for for next season. And it sort of sounds like like, hey, man, like, I, this, you know, I hope this doesn't sound like, you know, damning with faint praise, but like, look, we had been sort of complaining and losing a lot of you know it's sort of gotten depressing you know to be talking about like games against boise state and it's the of the world uh you know and not getting any goals and like here they you know they they go into conference play you know against colorado and utah um you know and and you know hey they're scoring goals you know i dig it uh you know uh you know that that it's very unsoccer like they're scoring goals yeah uh well they uh, and just to give you an actual number to, to hold in your mind, 24 underclassmen to five upperclassmen. Wow. Yeah. Uh, what do they got coming up next? <laughs> oh, let me look at the schedule. Sorry. I did. Uh, they're they're going down to LA, right? They're. Oh yes. They're, they're heading down to face the LA schools. Uh, they start uh, out with UCLA, which is actually. You there? Yeah, no, I'm here. Sorry, um, they they actually just played a USC today, um, mm. which we'll probably have a recap on maybe. But uh, it was an zero and three loss. So mm. and USC is number fifteen team in the nation. And then on Sunday they're facing UCLA, the number five team in the nation. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, no, I'm sure that'll go swimmingly. Uh, <laughs> all right, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll look for progress. How's that? Uh, all right. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, we will uh, talk some football. Sounds good. Uh, so uh, on uh, Friday morning, uh, about the time this podcast goes up, I'll have published my um, Oregon football midseason statistical review. I guess not technically totally midseason since it's going to go up after five weeks and and one of those weeks is an FCS game whose numbers don't go into the stats. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, given the fact that like half of those games are blowouts, uh, you know, or, you know, it winds up being, you know, only about like two and a half games. In fact, it's actually, you know, one of the things that I noted at the top of the article is that, uh, you know, for for four FBS games, I'm missing about what I would if they were four like competitive games, I usually get about 65 snaps in a competitive game. And, uh, and so therefore, you know, uh, uh, you know, four competitive games would have provided me something like 260 offensive and 260 defensive snaps. But instead I, I had, I think, you know, like, 
uh, a 200 offensive and 160 defensive snaps. So, you know, I was behind by like 60 and 100, you know, uh, uh, snaps for where I would have been due to the fact that Oregon kept blowing out its opponents. You know, not that I'm really complaining. I'm okay about, with that. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> well, like they the, also the Duck the... fan in me is not complaining about it. The analyst in me is complaining about it a little bit. <laughs> they also changed the way the, the clock rules work. Which right. I don't know if you're you're taking into yeah. account that we're seeing fewer you, drives. That's true. That's true. I might need to um, uh, change. You know, yeah, you, you're absolutely right about that. I hadn't considered that fact. So when I said I expect to get 65, you know, snaps, I was basing that on previous years' um, information. So I may need to dial that down a bit. Um, good, good point, Kevin. I hadn't considered that. Um, uh, anyway. Um, uh, at any rate, it's it's certainly fewer than I would expect at a competitive, uh, you know, for competitive games. Um, uh, uh, anyway, uh, and so, you know, even though I'm publishing this article now, because, of course, I am, it's the bye week. What, what else am I going to be writing about? Um, you know, what, one has to take some of these numbers with a grain of salt. You know, that said. Uh, you know, a lot a lot of folks are sort of inclined to say, oh, but the competition wasn't that great. So, you know, therefore, you know, aren't these numbers skewed? And uh, what I have discovered over a, a long period of time of charting these sorts of teams is that like the quality of competition doesn't once you get up to a certain threshold, which like we've cleared, um, doesn't wind up moving the needle that much. It only winds up moving it by a point or two that basically who you are, like who you are as a team determines, you know, uh, where, where your numbers fall and, you know, within maybe a three percentage point range and, uh, and who your opponent, like if you play a run of very strong opponents, that'll push it down to the lower end of that three percentage point range. And if you play a run of extremely weak opponents, then it'll wind up at the, the higher end of that three point percentage point range. But like, you know, for most, but like most teams don't play extreme ends of the schedule. Most teams are in the middle of the bell curve because that's what bell curves mean. Um, and, uh, and, and so therefore pretty much who you are just shines through. And once you hit a, you know, a, a certain threshold, uh, you know, your numbers are simply your numbers. Um, and, uh, and, and sort of that's that. And it's just a question of getting enough numbers in order to get a certain level of granularity of questions. So like at this point, I can only answer certain like high level questions, like how, is the like I can split out pass versus run performance, but I can't and I can sort of split out like um like pass versus run in different formations. Like when they line up in 11 personnel, they pass the ball, you know, at a 70% clip. Uh, you know, I can do that, but like I'm not comfortable drilling down further than that and saying, okay, what's their success rate or what's their success rate, you know, at, at different splits or like I can tell you unit level grades, like the linebackers are tackling at this success rate um, uh, or the offensive line is run blocking at this success rate or this error rate. But like, don't ask me for individual player level grades 
because that's it's too small you know like one and when i say too small the reason that i say that is like one or two plays worth of difference you know will will swing the score by like five percentage points and like that's not cool man you know like you know for one play to swing it by five points in which like five points is like very significant um is like that you know that ain't cool uh so, so like i can't get i can't get granular enough because it's only been four fbs games and those have been a bunch of blowouts but at, at sort of like the higher you know level questions like what is their defense you know success rate against the pass like that i've got enough data to tell you about with a pretty high confidence interval that'll probably stick um you know for for the rest of the season um and so those are the numbers that appear uh, throughout the article like if i have a high enough confidence interval to report on it then it appears in my article and if i don't then it doesn't you know i i i i did that filter you know for you uh, yeah i'm sorry i don't accept that i want to know the success rate <laughs> on pass plays in the in the opposing side of the ball outside of the red zone when the right side of the field is the wide side so i mean get back, by, get back to your books but you know by the time i have like 13 games worth of data i will be able to answer questions that are down to that level of granularity in fact i did answer a question almost exactly that you know in my postseason statistical review um for 2022 like almost verbatim of what you just asked kevin um uh, but n not now. I just not enough uh, data. Sorry. Um, uh, but, you know, it's pretty promising. And the other thing that I would say for those who are like, well, hold on. What about these opponents that, you know, they're not great. You know, that's true. Some of them are have not been great. Um, but, you know, for example, the thing that I'm, you know, really excited about, like in terms of a year, like uh, improvement over last year. The, where the biggest jump has been, you know, because I use exactly the same charting system, right? I, I've been using exactly the same charting system for over a decade. It's, you know, by far the most, the, the best part of uh, of what I do is, you know, even though I sort of like came up with this system in like 2009, you know, when I I didn't know what I was doing really. And I just like cribbed the system from reading books written by Tom Osborne that I read in the library. Um, like, uh, I'm not, joking about that that's literally what i did um uh but like tom osborne was very open about like exactly how he did his charting system for like evaluating his players and opponents and like that dude won a bunch of national championships so like who better to crib a system from uh so anyway that's what i did and i've been doing it for 10 years and the cool thing is that i like hey once i came up with that system like and i've been using it consistently you know like i now have this like huge library you know that i can compare to like everybody you know and it's all it's it's all backwards compatible, right? So I'm able to say that, like, okay, this is how championship caliber teams perform, and this is how teams that are, you know, that just miss the championship, and these are how mediocre teams perform. These are how bad teams perform, and this is how teams that should just quit football perform, you know, and, and like, yeah, that's really useful. So anyway, anyway, um, the so last year, uh, Oregon's um, uh, 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 defense against the pass. Uh, their success rate. Um, actually, one second. Their Oregon's pass defense against explosive passes was pretty good. They defended explosive passes. They, they limited opponents to hitting explosive passing plays, by which I mean 15 plus yard gains, um, to like only about 12% 
of their passing attempts. And, uh, and I, and it was something like only about like seven uh, yards per pass attempt that they were allowing opponents to hit, which are, are, are pretty good numbers, you know, for everybody who's like, Oh my God, the Oregon's defense last year, it was so awful. I hate it. You know, like that wasn't really the issue. They weren't giving up bombs, you know, not, no, no, they, they weren't um, that, you know, they really were very good at preventing explosive plays um, and in the rush defense as well. They were also very good at preventing explosive plays in the rush defense. Um, the uh, uh, where, where they had, you know, difficulty was getting off the field on third down and specifically because of, uh, opponents were hitting passes um against them on third down um and and so like oregon's um uh defense against efficiency passes you know the, their their pass the defense success rate was only about 55 percent in 2022 um which is above average but it's not a it's not a championship caliber number championship caliber is 60 percent um and, and in modern college football, you know, that's like back in the day, teams would run to convert like third and medium, third and short, right? Te- teams don't, you know, other than Oregon, you know, honestly, like Oregon's kind of the outlier for being a team that still believes in the run. Um, like, or, or you know, but, but most teams like they, they, they pass to convert, you know, they, they hit little short you know, little stop routes, little screen passes, little hitches, you know, little slant passes, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And they're hard to defend because the ball's out of the quarterback, you know, quarterback's hands really fast and you don't defend them with your cornerbacks. You know, the guys that traditional defenses invest all of their resources into stopping, you have to defend them with your linebackers, which like most teams, their linebackers are like dudes who play with neck rolls, right? Right. You know, they're, they're hey, 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 Bryce Betcher has a neck roll and yeah. he is a freaking human missile. Yeah, I mean, I hate man. I, I, I like Bryce Betcher, too. I'm not really <laughs> throwing shade at him, but he's kind of a th- throwback kind of player, you know? Yeah. Any anyway, like that's that's what modern college football offenses do to convert third downs is they pass. And. Oregon was not great at defending those third down quick passes to, you know, for efficiency purposes to keep drives alive last year. They were, you know, it was only a 55% success rate, which again is above average, but it's not like elite. It's not how you get to championships. So fast forward to 2023. And yes, I know it's only been four games, but like I said, it's kind of enough data to, to make projections at decent confidence intervals and keep in mind the teams that they played have been texas tech likes to throw the ball hawaii only throws the ball colorado only throws the ball stanford which i know likes to run the ball but uh you like obviously we all watch that game but if you if you really paid attention to that game the way that they were converting third downs was they were hitting those like 10 yard third stop routes um and like Oregon had to make adjustments in order to, 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 to prevent those. Um, and, uh, well, I, I wrote like a couple different articles about Stanford. I'm not going to re- elaborate too much there, but like Stanford is another team that wants to hit efficiency passing in order to keep the chains moving. I promise I am not making that up. So even though the highest rated in F plus uh, of those offenses is Texas tech at 29. Um, and so therefore, you know, from a, like a, uh, you know, an overall offensive perspective, that's not exactly murderers row. They are all teams that want to pass the ball on third downs to keep 
drives alive. And so therefore they are good tests for the thing that Oregon needed to do the most in order to improve on last year. And also relevantly, Oregon under coach Dan Lanning, also all of the defensive staff that he uh, has assembled, you know, Tosh Lapoy and, uh, you know, uh, coach Tuiati and coach uh, Hampton, like everybody, and even coach Powledge last year, even though now he's back at Baylor, like, uh, like all of the co- defensive coaching staff that he've hired have been tight front and mint front, you know, dudes where the, the, the whole philosophy is, Hey, let's stop those passes. You know, their whole deal is let's stop short, quick and intermediate, you know, passing. Um, So the fact that they weren't really getting it done in year one under landing, I'm sure was driving him crazy because it was like his whole thing was stop those and he wasn't getting it done. So like, I'm sure he was tearing his hair out. So all of that has been set in the table for the following number, which is the amazing number, which I should have like trumpeted in capital letters, you know, is the headline of the article, even though that's not really how I write articles. Oregon improved from 55 percent, you know, defensive pass success rate in 2022 to 66 percent defensive pass success rate in so far in 2023, which is not only in like an elite number in and of itself but an 11 percentage point improvement year over year is like unheard of that is amazing that like i mean i've been doing this for a long time you know where i'm doing the the, my duck dive series where i'm looking at like how'd you do last year and what do i expect you to do this year like 11 points on one of those metrics is like like knock me over with a feather like that's incredible you know it is a it it is a testament to what an effective job they did in roster management over this offseason in terms of clearing out what was a ineffective um uh, uh edge rushing uh room in the defensive front uh, which is much better this year. Their havoc rate is way higher. The, the havoc rate, which you will read in my article, is up to 32.3% uh, sack scrambles and throwaways per drop back. Um, and uh, they're simply, you know, more effective defensive backs. They're getting more uh, pass breakups that, you know, they're getting, they're, they're playing more effectively in pass coverage. Um, and they're there. It's simply a mintier, defense than it was last year like even though it was a mint defensive structure it was it was the first year in the system and they didn't quite have the personnel and they hadn't really had as much time as they would have liked to implement it but this year it's like the they've mintified it the mintification has accelerated and like this is a really minty defense now <laughs> it's and, a minty you know, defense it's a minty super fresh. minty defense it's a minty dude. fresh defense it's i mean well, like, and- look at it look like you know jeff basta <laughs> and 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 uh jamal hill they're yep. linebackers both of those dudes are safeties right so like, that's what so you is, want so is betcher rice betcher is a converted safety yeah right they initially <laughs> had him playing yeah right like look at all those safeties they got playing <laughs> linebackers and when justin jacobs is is healthy uh, which, <laughs> know, the uh, actual linebacker of the group yeah right but he was playing sam at iowa which if you know you know how a four three defense operates like the sam plays outside the box and he's sort of like he's better understood as like sort of a nickel 
mm-hmm. you know, defender. Like he might as well be a DB. And then also look at his body type. Like that guy's got defensive back written all over him, you know, so he might as well be a converted safety too. You know, uh, yeah, it's like, it's real minty. Um, it's, it's, it's real, real minty. Um, well, and you touched on it, you know, briefly, you know, you talked about roster management, a few other things, but uh, a huge difference in past success rate is we are getting to the passer. Oh yeah. We no QB has been comfortable against Oregon yeah. this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can say that again, man. Um, uh, yeah, like ha- have havoc rate is 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 way higher. I mean, like, look, I, I'm not trying to throw shade at those guys. I, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not going to name their names either. Uh, I, I don't want them to feel bad, but like, there were there were players who left. La- a lot of players left Oregon's program last year. A number of them left because not because they were ineffective players, but because they simply weren't the right fit for this type of team so you know when when i say that type of dude i'm talking about like for example keith brown um uh, you know the inside linebacker who i I think he's a you know had a good year in 2022 and if this were a different type of defensive philosophy because of his body type like he would have fit right in you know but like he's not a mint defensive front type you know, he's not, you know, he's a more traditional type of linebacker. And uh, so he transferred and and I I think, you know, I haven't checked in on him, but I think he's, he's had a pretty good start to his season. Um, Did he go to Louisville? Yeah, I I think you, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. He's at Louisville and Louisville's undefeated. So like, you know, good, good, good for him. I haven't checked on his stats, but, but, you know, good for him. Um, But the, the 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 pass rusher room the outside linebacker room which is the responsible for pass rushing in this structure like th- those guys um transferred out it, not for that reason they transferred out because they were shown the door mm-hmm. and 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 Oregon has replaced them in in most cases, it, it, with the exception of Jordan Birch, who came in from South Carolina as a very experienced um, uh, defensive end. Um, but everybody else who's replaced them, freshmen, yeah, recruited recruited Shipley, blue chip freshmen. But uh, uh, well, Mateo. well, Shipley's the returning player. Um, oh, but yeah. like, yeah, Matteo Ingale, uh, freshman. Tatum Tuiati, uh, freshman, Blake Purchase, uh, freshman, Marion yeah. Winston, uh, redshirt freshman, um, Amari Washington, freshman, um, uh, Terrence Green, freshman. Um, yeah, freshman. Um, mm-hmm. And they're playing at a very high level. You know, they grade up very well on my tally sheet or the unit grades up very well on my tally sheet. Um, yeah, very impressive. Very, very talented, very impressive group. Um one thing yep. I do love about our defense is we, they have that talent, not just across the line, but deep. So, you know, there's no oh, yeah. one. I mean, there's a couple people that are jumping off the stat boards, you know, racking up the sacks. <laughs> one of them is Evan Williams, which when yeah. your safety is. I mean, yeah, up. I mean, that's another aspect of the mint <laughs> defensive philosophy is that anybody can get a sack. Like yeah. it's I mean, everybody is a pass uh, defender. <laughs> And everybody is a potential pass rusher because the, yeah. the the blitz and the pass pressure and simulated pressures can come from anywhere. Um, 
And it's actually, it was actually really fun over the last two off seasons to listen. Like Dan Lanning has actually been very, has been quite voluble about like, and free with information about what his philosophy is and like how you, you know, what his pass rush philosophy is and like how you keep offensive linemen guessing. Like he doesn't tell you like specifically like when the game against so-and-so opponent is coming up, I've noticed that they have this tendency. And so we're going to attack them in that way. Like, obviously he doesn't do that, but he is actually very free with information about like, Hey, when, you know, one of the things that a lot of offensive lines use is this type of, you know, offensive line, uh, uh, protection rule and you can manipulate it by doing this or this type of simulated pressure and then it's been very cool i mean i know this is you know really like football nerdy stuff and it's also extremely difficult to explain without a whiteboard so this isn't great podcast content i know well your your entire stats article is super nerdy i'm I'm, I'm, you know (laughs) but i'm here for it but but like i don't know the purpose of this sort of to talk about our writing process and like how Mm -hmm. we as writers sort of emotionally relate to um what we're doing to put you know words up on the page and you know my my process you know involves you know listening to some of the, the that content you know that 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 coach Lanning you know uh, announces and I, I gotta say it's been super cool to listen to him talk about you know how you manipulate uh, opposing offenses pass protection rules and then a couple of months later to see it in action on film and be like hey that that thing that i that he said is the thing that they did and then they got a sack out of it neat yeah you know? like that's real cool well it's, it's fun when you watch you know uh birch and doorless standing up three yards off the line yeah, in right. linebacker position. And then you go, wait, we're about, okay. That's Bossa And yeah, right. <laughs> over yeah, there lined up all. like a DN. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's really, um, uh, yeah, they, they definitely, yeah, they, they, that's definitely a big part of the pass rush philosophy is messing with, you know, the offensive line. It, it is not like this sort of like bog standard, like, well, I guess we'll just have four dudes just run right at them and we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, like, nah, they, they got stuff going on. Uh, so yeah, like that's definitely like that, you know, that's cool to see. And then the other thing that all, uh, that, that it gets, um, so a decent chunk of discussion in my article on the defense is, um, you know, the one quote unquote point of vulnerability or, or weakness, um, that Oregon's had on defense has been, you know, Hey, their rush defense is not much better than it was last year. Um, on a per play basis. And then I sort of investigate, you know, is that really true? And my conclusion that I come to is I don't actually really think it is. I actually think the rush defense is very, very good. And, uh, you know, what's been happening is that opponents have basically not been running at Oregon. Um, And so they haven't really been given an opportunity to show how good it is because as soon as Oregon demonstrates that you get nothing against them in the run game, that opponents quit running. And so they either don't run at all, which was the case for, for Colorado, or they run only very sporadically, which was the case for Hawaii, 
or they start out with some surprise quarterback runs, which was Texas Tech and Stanford, but then they only get that done in the first half. But and then Oregon sort of like figures it out and they make halftime adjustments and then they demonstrate that they can shut you down. And then as soon as Oregon demonstrates that they shut you down, they stop it and they switch to being an extremely pass heavy offense. Um, and they stop in particular with the quarterback runs and to the extent that they run the ball at all, you know, it's running back runs. And, you know, that's another thing that I document in my article, non quarterback runs, Oregon is extreme, has a very high success rate, has a very high yards per carry. You know, they, they, they limit their opponents to a very low yards per carry. Uh, average you know it's just it can be isolated entirely to quarterback runs and then furthermore it can be isolated entirely to first half quarterback runs and and the you know the the thing is especially in the texas tech game like hey man texas tech had the lead right if it were actually the case that oregon were vulnerable in the run game and to quarterback runs then what should Texas Tech have done with a lead if Oregon were vulnerable to the run, Kevin? Uh, you know, it's it's. I have no idea. They should have run <laughs> yeah. the dang ball, Kevin. I'm not. You know, let let's play let's play Madden. If if you didn't have immediately the answer to that question, uh, just, like if, yeah. if Texas Tech's got the lead and Oregon is actually vulnerable to the run and they were successful against the run in the first half, then they should have run, 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 run. They should have run the clock out. But that's not what they did. They stopped running the ball. And in my opinion, that's as much evidence as you ought to need. The fact that they switched over to almost exclusively passing the ball in the second half, despite the fact that they had a lead and despite the fact that they were successful running the quarterback in the first half of the game indicates to me that they acknowledged that Oregon had shut them down in the quarterback run game, that the jig was up, that Oregon had figured out how to stop their quarterback runs, that their surprise quarterback runs that they busted out for that game because they didn't do it against Wyoming, which is why they lost to Wyoming. You know, they, they, they were willing to take the loss to keep that under wraps. Uh, that they acknowledged like, hey, you know, you figured us out. Well, I guess we got to go back to passing. And what they actually started doing was doing those tight end passes, which like to their six, nine tight end, which <laughs> were difficult to defend. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so like, look, there's all the proof that you need. If Oregon actually had a run game vulnerability, then Texas Tech would have run the ball in the second half. They didn't. Uh, ipso facto, Oregon does not actually have yeah. a run game vulnerability. And if anybody, you know, thinks that, oh, uh, you know, hey, uh, uh, I can read a, an advanced stat chart. I know I, I, I'll run my quarterback at Oregon's uh, uh, defense like good luck. I, I wish you the best of luck. You know, uh, you know, I, I got my Brer rabbit routine ready to go for you. Like I really love to see Michael Penix, you know? Yeah. That uh, was good. I was going to say is yeah. You know, Tyler shoes. Tyler shoes, a good runner. I mean, we, Tyler shoes, a familiar commodity. He was Oregon starting. Yeah, right. Oh, that poor kid, season. that poor kid. He just broke his leg. Yeah. West Virginia. This is like the third season. He's going to miss with a broken bone. Can second, he missed 2021 and 2022. And now he's going to miss 2020. 23 like that poor kid yeah. i i really my heart breaks for, 
ninth year of eligibility. Yeah, I know, man. Uh, that really, that really stinks for him. Um, it didn't happen on a run play. He just like somebody, it was a pass play actually. And somebody got into the backfield and, and actually he sort of heroically committed, c- completed a pass with like a broken leg, you know, it was like, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. t- Tyler Shuck's kind of my hero. Honestly. <laughs> um, well, and but- Tyler Shook is a QB that's that his nature was to run, you know, Michael Penix, while he can yeah, run, I mean, they're not going to design know, runs for Michael. I, Penix. I, was, I was, I was joking about that. That's and they're not going to design I, runs for Caleb Williams, though. Caleb Williams. Is I know. No, I actually am a little, I am actually a little bit worried about that. Um, although that's not really. So the, to the extent that teams have had success doing quarterback runs, they've been surprised quarterback runs. And like, by the time that Oregon plays USC, like they're, they're Lincoln Riley's not going to have any surprises. I mean, honestly, Lincoln Riley has been running the same playbook since he was at Oklahoma is like year eight you know for him i I very 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 much doubt with the exception of like he actually busts out a couple of like some interesting stuff but like he he empties the playbook you know by the end of the first drive like he scripts his first drive most coaches do like he but he sort of runs out of that gas you know by the end of the first drive i'm not really you know that that's that's what i'm really concerned it's just the concern is playing caleb williams (laughs) you know because it's like he's really good yeah you know he's well and and receivers that can receivers that can beat you on a three yard out i'm actually not super concerned about usc's receivers this year but that's a story for another day um anyway uh yeah i actually don't you know even though i'm a huge believer in the per play numbers you know 99 of the time i think it's a way it, it captures stuff way better i actually think this is one of the very few circumstances and i put it in my article for this reason that the raw that the raw stats on rush defense are actually more. I mean, I put the I, I put the per play numbers in because I'm not. What am I going to do? Bury those? You know, They're like no. And you know, I'm committed to, to telling you what the, what my what my tally sheet says, and you can make judgments for yourself. But I also supplemented that with what the raw stats are, and here's what they are. Um, last year, Oregon surrendered 127. Uh, uh, or no, 133. Sorry, it's something like that. Uh, yards, rush yards per game. Uh, this year they are surrendering 102 rush yards uh, per game. You know, which indicates, hey, they're doing better. Um, and more, maybe more to my point, like teams are, are, are opposing offenses are refusing to run the ball right like which is the ultimate form of rush defense you scared them off from running you know which is sort of the one um aspect of a per play um uh, means of evaluating things is that if they don't do the thing i can't evaluate it right um uh so yeah um you know i i i think it's an illusion i i i i think that actually oregon's rush defense is is very it is actually pretty good um and that this sort of the is gonna get wind up getting diluted out of the the numbers by the uh by 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 the time that i am writing my postseason statistical review i won't be talking about this at all um is my sort of my prediction uh, and then on offense, uh, it boy, it's all systems green, man. Like it's boy, does it look good for the offense? Um, like I, there's not even a single thing to talk about. Like, uh, well, there's a one little thing, which is they missed on 
two more deep shots than would have been expected if they hit like it which have just been sort of drop passes like if they if if the receivers hadn't had those passes drop bounce off their hands then their a uh deep shot um completion rate would have been identical to last year it is already the case that their deep shot attempted rate which is 20 percent, is identical to last year um they're actually attempting more intermediate passes than they were last year. Last year, it was um, like 30% medium and 50% short. And this year, it's like 40% medium, 40% short. So like a 10-point swing in favor of, of intermediate and at the expense of short. So like, I like that, you know, more intermediate passing. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, like, oh man, the success rate, is uh, is championship caliber the yards per uh, attempt is championship caliber the explosiveness rate is championship caliber and all of those could be you know improved by just like catch the ball man uh on the deep shots and and, and it's just two you know they're two passes off because the sample size is so small which is like very easily you know I, and i fully expect will be corrected simply by you know when they finish the full season's worth of data you know where it's it's you know freaking out about like two passes is not worth freaking out about you know that that's you know very potentially and an even you know likely to be just a blip you know uh and, and then the run game uh i mean the run games like explosiveness and in, in yards per carry is through the it's 25 percent explosiveness which is like oh my god and yards per carry is 7.1 which is like oh my god um and 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 efficiency rate is 65 percent which is like oh my god although last year it was 71 percent and the and and uh, which is like just you know blow your mind stuff so it's actually come down you know but it like coming down was inevitable like you're 70 percent is like unsustainably crazy um also uh, that almost that entire offensive line is in the nfl yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and so actually that is that get does also get a little bit of discussion in my in my article is like where the run blocking grades are at as a unit pass blocking has been elite from the get-go which is kind of amazing honestly um run blocking has taken like here's what's interesting um it, it hasn't been as elite as it was last year which hey you know let's we were all expecting that um uh uh but here's what's interesting it's gotten better every week they're not that far off like at this you know in in the aggregate they are now performing or or in the aggregate you know for their four fbs games that they have played they are performing at about a pac 12 average level um which given the trajectory i think by the time they play utah in late um october which is like the first serious run defense that they'll play um i i think they'll you know, given their trajectory um, and what their talent level is, what their talent ceiling is, I think they'll be up to their talent ceiling and therefore be playing at the Oregon standard by the time that it'll matter. So I'm happy about that. But here's the thing that's interesting. Like I said, it's getting better every week. The quality of the rush defenses they've been playing has not been getting better every week. It's kind of been up, down, up, down, up, down. Like it just sort of like changes every week. And yeah. So what that tells me is it's not it the the reason it's it's been a linear improvement in run blocking quality each week 
it hasn't been a linear decrease in run blocking defense every week. So what that tells me is that it doesn't have anything to do with the opponent. It has everything to do with just the line gelling. You know, it's just time. It's just a factor of time. Yeah. And, and there, and that's the other thing is there, you know, there was a lot more rotation earlier in the season on that line as they were trying to find the right, oh, the right. Oh, I that's no. That's well, not, I guess that's, I guess that's probably not accurate because we were in blowouts by the, yeah, by the second. Yeah. Quarter. Yeah. Cause, like, cause I'm excluding the garbage time stuff yeah. in which like all of that was happening. Uh, no, they, they've, they've actually been very consistent about, you know, what they've been doing. It's four, four of the positions have been basically the same dudes. You know, Connerly has always been at left tackle. Um, Harper has almost uh, always been at left guard. Uh, Powers Johnson has always been at center. Um, and uh, Cornelius has always been at right tackle. And then at uh, right guard, it's been about a two to one rotation basis um, between Stephen Jones and uh, Iapani uh, Lalaulu. And, um, and, uh, uh, um, and, and yeah, they've been very consistent about that uh, throughout a meaningful play in, uh, in in every one of their games. And, and and like I said, the interesting thing is, you know what game, even though these this the, the, the numbers from the FCS game are not uh, part of the stats in uh, the article, um, but I still charted it anyway. And I, you know, looked at it for uh, the purposes of the story that I'm about to tell you. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, the game in which their run blocking was the worst was Portland State. You know, the opener against the FCS team, um, which obviously was not their strongest opponent, you know, by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. You know, not only yeah. was it an FCS opponent, but, you know, I can tell you from having, you know, re- reviewed that team, they were replacing all four of their defensive linemen from last year. It was like completely brand new defensive linemen for the FCS team, you know? So that was like far and away, you know, like by a million miles, the worst rush defense they're going to play all year. And yet it was their sloppiest run blocking performance. And so, you know, that, that really, you know, the takeaway from that, you know, should be very clear, you know, that it's like, it's not a function of who they're playing. It's a function of, of of who they who they are and the, their level of experience um with one another and and and, and playing live ball um and, and as such you know the, the the more of that that they have the better they'll get which is why i keep saying the trajectory the trajectory the trajectory um uh and is why you know the fact that they're at 65 percent now Oh boy, <laughs> you know, by the time they get to the postseason, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm really excited for us to go into Washington. I think that's going to be a very hostile environment. And yeah. uh, you know, it's it's one of those things in the past I've seen Oregon play really well against good opponents and then played down to lesser opponents. And I'm yeah. just really glad we have not been doing that. 
Well, you know, this isn't uh, part of my that that is that is very true, Kevin. Um, I, I've I've definitely noticed that as well. Uh, this isn't part of my midseason statistical review article. This is a bit of a teaser for my Washington preview that'll be next week. But uh, I haven't finished like charting, charting like uh, Washington, you know, like doing all the player evaluations. But I have done the preliminary uh, charting work in terms of like, you know, incorporating the play by play and doing all the corrections because like the raw play by play is rough, man, like. Ooh, boy, it's really bad. Um, anyway, I've done all the corrections so that I can give you like what their preliminary sort of stats are. And these numbers won't, I mean, they'll change a little bit when I do the charting, but not much. Uh, so like I just said, Oregon has a 65% success rate, you know, when their offense is running the ball. And I only expect that to get better. Uh, you want to take a guess at what Washington's defensive uh, rush success rate is? Oh, 52%. Oh, Kevin. What? It's 40%. Oh, we are going to run all over them. Most teams have, I mean, the thing about Washington is that their offense is so, there is so explosive that like most teams get behind like instantly. I mean, like Cal, <laughs> poor Cal, you know, Cal gives up like 14 points before Michael Penix even touches the field, right? Like yeah. most, most teams that play Washington are, get behind and then they're just not in a position to run the ball, you know, to take advantage of Washington's lousy rush defense. And so, you know, it, it, it's not something that you're that that, you know, unless you're a film reviewer and watch like, hey, man, you know, I watched your rush defense teams aren't running against you that much. But like when they do, teams are killing you. So that's very interesting. All right. I think that'll do it for us this week. Uh, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Kevin? Uh, get out and watch Oregon soccer when they get back from LA. Um, you know, it's a beautiful stadium. It's It'll be a beautiful day. But, uh, you know, we need more fans out there. Cheer them on. Uh, I'll, I'll add that you should also um, watch the, the golf team um, uh, largely because, like, if you don't, I'm afraid of what the uh, Emerald – uh, Valley Golf Club will do to you. Uh, <laughs> all right. The, uh, uh, at any rate, those are outdoor sports and the weather is sort of uh, held up uh, for us. I was actually, just before we got onto the podcast, I was grilling some steaks. It was a uh, pretty nice weather out there, but it never rains on this podcast. <laughs>